start here, open up with a word of prayer, and invite some questions. Let me, let me give you a couple rules of engagement. Um, and I, I don't mean to be funny with this, but I've learned from experience, and experience is a great teacher. Uh, question and answers night is not uh, agenda and answers night. You got me? All right, so we welcome questions, but if you see that the question's been answered and you don't like the answer, maybe just pray about it, all right? Uh, and, and the second thing is uh, try to frame it like Jeopardy as a question, all right? Uh, like, okay, for example, Pastor Adrian, I heard that uh, the mark of the beast is already out there. Okay. What's your question? All right, so it's question and answer night. Um, I, I'll say this, uh, the Lord desires... Uh, holy curiosity from his people. The, the Bible says to worship him in the beauty of holiness. And it says over there when it talks about the Ark of the Covenant, that the, the, the cherubims, I don't know if you remember how this is done, and, and maybe even if you read it from the Bible, you might remember Indiana Jones. Uh, the cherubims, the wings face like this, looking over the mercy seat. And over in Hebrews, it talks about things that the angels desire to look into. And you are already in it because of Jesus Christ. But he says that, 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 in other words, look, they're curious about this thing of redemption. In other words, God notices curiosity. And if you learn anything from reading the Gospels, what you'll find is that Jesus oftentimes was not only questioned, but he taught by asking questions. Uh, you might remember Nicodemus, how can a man be born when he is old? <laughs> can he enter the second time to his mother's womb and be born? Right? And, and Jesus answers that question. By the way, that conversation is a man coming to Jesus with a bunch of questions. It's a private conversation that God lets you in on. And if God didn't let you in on it, you would not have, you must be born again. And if God didn't let you in on it, you wouldn't have, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And you wouldn't have, for God sent not a son of the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. None of that would be in your Bible had it not been for a man asking a question. So it's good to ask questions, all right? Uh, look at Galatians chapter 4. And uh, look, if you would, at uh, verse number 30. Verse number 30. And I just, I just want to read the first part of that verse. It is a question. And, and here it is. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? That's the question. I, what does God say about it? What does the Bible say about it? Now, I can give you my opinion, but that probably won't help you a whole lot. Uh, so uh, here's what we're going to do. We are going to have a word of prayer and uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Eric Alcorn if you would open us up in a word of prayer. By the way, uh, I'll just throw this out there. We are exploring every opportunity we can. It may not feel like it on, on tonight, but as you guys know from uh, Sundays where we don't have blizzards uh, and everybody's here, we are packed out and uh, found a place. We're looking, at a, we're looking at all kinds of different things, but there's an opportunity for us to maybe go look at a spot this week. Would you pray about that, guys? Uh, may have Brother Eric go look at that since a, a number of us will be out of town. And also want to remind you, we already have our Christmas candlelight service invites. Start now. Start now. I, I'm working on some, some coworkers saying, hey, come on, let's go. Uh, listen, don't you think your mom would be proud if you went to church on Christmas? Oh, yeah, she'd be proud, you know. So just, I'm a, hey, use guilt if you have to, right? Uh, but, uh, but anyways, grab some of these on the way out tonight and start getting those out. Uh, and we also have some CDs. I know some of you don't know what those are. They're little tiny discs, and you put them in the players, and they play. If you have a CD player and you like some of these from the Spurgeons, they're for free. I said the, 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 the F word that Baptists love, free, right? All right, so grab some of those on the way out. Uh, get some good music into your life, all right? Brother Eric, if you'd ask the Lord's blessing.
Amen. Do we have the ability to give? Okay, so Bro James has the mic. Who has a question? All right. So Steon, you first, and Brother Ben, you're next, all right? If this is about rugby, I can't answer it, bro. <laughs> I, I think South Africa just won the World Cup. Is that right? Okay, all right. Yay, South Africa. All right. They scored points. That's all I know about rugby. Yep. So the question that I have is Luke 11, verse 52. Uh, he's, Jesus is addressing the lawyers, um, and he tells them that they have taken away the key of knowledge. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know what that key of knowledge is. And is it something that still applies today? Is it something that we can somehow either keep others from attaining or Mm. take away from them as well? Yeah, yeah, amen. All right, so look at Luke chapter 11, verse 52. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 52. Now, let me me do this. Let's go back a little bit because it might be helpful. I think one of the first things you learn uh, in discipleship is how to study the Bible. And in fir- I think lesson number one is how to study the Bible, if I remember correctly. And, and in that, we talk about context. And so uh, before I even get to that, let me just say this. A, I know some of you know this, you've heard this before, but a text, all right, without context, this is a legal term, is a pretext. You see, what does that mean? Buddy, this is where a lot of Christianity lives. Uh, making it up as you go with no idea of what is, be, who is, all right, so, so, con, español, what does it mean? With, all right, so with text, that's a Latin thing, a little, uh, uh, what do you call it on the front of the word, the end is a suffix, uh, prefix, right? So the prefix con means with, all right? So if you don't look behind and look at, for example, who's talking, all right, what are they talking about, uh, what, what is the setting, where does it take place in time? All right, what dispensation is it? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, stick around a little bit. We'll try to make that clear. But if you don't look at any of those things, then, then you're going to make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Uh, and so it's important to look at a couple verses behind. Look at verse number uh, 45. Verse number 45. Then answered one of the lawyers and said to him, Master, thus, say, uh, thus saying thou reproachest us also. Uh, and by the way, what the, what the Lord is doing for several verses, he's rebuking people. And so let me just give you a good piece of advice. If the Lord wasn't talking to you and he's rebuking someone, just keep your mouth shut. Because they're like, it sounds like you're talking about us too. And he's like, since you mentioned it. All right, so, so look at verse number 46. He's like, well, since you mentioned it, woe unto you, lawyers. Uh, I love that. For you laid men with burdens grievous to be born, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for ye build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Uh, uh, truly ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and ye build their sepulchres. Now, what he's saying is this. You're the group of people that, that honors the prophets when it was people like you that had them killed. So he's, he's kind of letting them know, like, hey, the real issue here has a lot to do with your motive. All right? And uh, let's keep reading. I'll, 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 we'll, we'll get there. Look at verse number uh, forty. Uh, eight. Truly you bear witness that you allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed kill them, and you build their sepulchres. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute. Here's a question we need to ask ourselves. Is there a difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world? Yeah. All right. So he mentions the wisdom of God. Now, when he does that, you know what he's doing? He's quoting scripture. So keep in mind, what he's doing is he's quoting scripture and saying, this is the wisdom of God. All right. 
And so what you have is you've got the wisdom of God being mentioned, and it's equated to Scripture. How do you know that? Because what Jesus does is he quotes the Scriptures. All right? So the wisdom of God is mentioned here. And uh, let me just say this. Go to James. We'll come back to it. Go to James chapter number 3. James chapter 3. We'll come back to Luke 11 in a moment. Um, let me give you the, the short, and we're going to walk through it. But when you take away the authority of Scriptures from people and replace it with a different authority, you take away the key of knowledge. Um, you cannot listen. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it talks about wisdom and knowledge all through Proverbs. If you go back to Proverbs 1, which we will in just a moment, uh, what you find out is that God, God gave an entire book of the Bible to give people knowledge, especially young men there in the book of Proverbs. And, and you say, well, what, what, what was that all about? Well, it's, it's God giving his mind and his thoughts to us so we can know how to walk in knowledge. When you replace that with another authority, which is what the lawyers and the Pharisees and the scribes did, they became the authority over the scriptures. And we've said this before, and I'll say it again. I'm not the final authority here. The Bible is, all right? Now, what God does is he does give you men to teach you the word of God, and, and that's biblical. But let me just say this. When, a, when a, a person goes against the authority of God's word and says, no, you've got to trust me, even though the Bible doesn't say that, run for your life, all right? Because what they're doing is they're taking the key of knowledge out of your hand. Look at James chapter 3, and look, if you would, at verse number 15. Uh, I'm sorry, go back to, yeah, uh, verse 13. Who's a wise man? All right, we're talking about wisdom. Who's a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Remember this. Remember this. Um, wisdom is uh, understanding what to do with knowledge. Wisdom is understanding. What, when you look at wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, think of it this way. Wisdom is something that comes from God, and it is understanding of what to do with knowledge. Do you realize you can take someone and pump them full of Bible knowledge, all right? But if you don't show them how to apply it, you know what they'll be? They'll be robotic Pharisees. You've got to show them that the purpose for this knowledge is not for you to go beat people over the head with the Bible. It's to win them to Jesus Christ and be a reflection of Jesus Christ in this world. Uh, look at James 3. Look at verse number uh, 14. But if you have bitter envying, I'm sorry, go back to verse 13. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Do you see how God's wisdom works? It's you being meek. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly, right? So it's not, well, I know this, and I know that. That's why I'm, I've said this a million times. Some of you are, are starting to get it, and I, can, I really appreciate that. Uh, some of you have grown up, well, you've grown up in a digital age, and, and uh, maybe you're my age and you're not a TikTok, you're not, you know, please, if you're not my age, don't dance on, don't, please don't do that. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that, all right? Uh, but maybe you're not there, but maybe you're the Facebook generation, all right? And so you're used to arguing with people about stuff. Can I tell you right now, that's not going to, th there's no points in heaven for that, all right? When was the last time you met someone that said, oh my goodness, that argument really won me over? Right. Uh, what people do is they just get on there, blah, 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 blah. Uh, God did not call me to argue. He called me to win people to Jesus Christ. Yeah. There's a difference, yeah. all right? So there's, there's wisdom, with, with God's wisdom, there's a meekness to it, all right? Look, if you would, at verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom, you're going to see a pivot here, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual. What's the last description? Didn't, uh, uh, didn't uh, the devil tempt Eve with the knowledge of good and evil? Ye shall be as gods. There's two kinds of wisdom. That's why the Bible says for you young people, and really all of us, to be uh, simple 
concerning evil. That means don't go fishing on the internet for every conspiracy in the world. Maybe you don't even know all that stuff. Did you ever think to yourself, oh, no, no, I have to know. Where's that in the Bible? Book, chapter, and verse. Oh, it's the truth. You would be better off learning the truth of the scriptures than fishing in that barrel. All right? Now, now look at uh, verse number 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first what? It has moral quality to it. Do you realize what our kids are getting in school is garbage? They get all the Greek philosophers, and, most, and some of those guys were pedophiles, by the way. Um, perverts is what they were. Um, filthy living. And they're the ones that are promoted as, as, as wise. Right? Uh, and then you've got the wisest man that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ. They're never going to hear about Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. If you could get young people in high school to read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, I guarantee you things would be different. Amen. All right? You say, what is that? That's God's wisdom. All right? Now, look at uh, verse 17. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in, them, uh, in peace of them that make peace. So he's giving you a description of what God's wisdom looks like and sounds like and talks like and acts like and lives like versus that of the devils. All right? So the wisdom of God, go back to Luke chapter 11, we understand is not the same as the wisdom of men. Matter of fact... Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I won't have you turn there. You know what God says? Uh, God chose the foolish things and the base things and the weak things to confound the things which are mighty and wise and so on and so forth in the world. God's uh, estimation of what is wise and what is wonderful and glorious is different than that of the world. Uh, uh, Brother Donovan, when he was going down to Bible school, this is in, back in the late 70s, I think it was, maybe early 80s, uh, his boss in Connecticut said, Brian, I think it's good that you're trying to be a good, you know, holy man and all that stuff, uh, but don't waste your life digging ditches in Florida. And, uh, you know, uh, he laughs about that today, just looking at all that God's done in the last couple of decades and how good God has been. But the world looks at, at someone doing that and they go, what a waste. Now, you remember the story of Mary Magdalene going to the feet of Jesus Christ and, and uh, the disciples said, hey, why'd you make this waste? But who was the ringleader that day? Judas, you got two kinds of wisdom competing against each other. So you have the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man, the wisdom of this world, and they don't go. That's why, listen, I, I said this as well. That's why I'm not saying everything that you're going to hear from a psychologist is wrong. But when a psychologist can't even define what a person is, body, soul, and spirit, how can you address those issues? And, and, and so if you've got the wrong foundation, you're not going to be able to help them. So uh, oftentimes, for example, some guy does a heinous crime, some man does some heinous thing, and they go, what terrible thing happened to him? Uh, how about we start with, it's wicked, let's just start with that, right? Well, you, you start there from the Bible perspective, right? And, and so the idea is this, you've got two kinds of wisdom. And in the passage, go back to Luke chapter 11, in the passage what you have is you've got someone trying to replace God's authority. And, and this is one of the things that you find over and over with the Pharisees. As a matter of fact, it says in John 7, never man spake like this man. Why? It says Jesus Christ spake with authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, the modern day equivalent of that is someone saying what your Bible says isn't right. The, the scriptures would better be rendered this way. Uh, the word, uh, 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 that, that verse over there in 1 John chapter 5 shouldn't be there. Uh, a more uh, clear understanding of this word would be that's another way to replace your authority. When you start, listen, when you got multiple authorities, you can't get anywhere. Uh, someone uh, talked to me this week and was trying to get me to, to help in a certain situation. I said, I can't help. And I know they look at me and they think I'm callous. I said, look, it's not that I don't want to help. I can't help. When you've got two different authorities 
And you can, if someone came to me and said, uh, uh, I want to debate you, first off, I'm not going to waste my time. But if they did, and, and I could engage with them in a, in a real way, and they said, I, wanna, I want you to, uh, uh, to show us out of the Bible what the Bible says about something, and I'm going to show it out of uh, the, the, uh, the Pearl of Great Price written by Joseph Smith. You know what I would say? I would say, no thanks. We, if we can't agree on the authority, we can't even get it. Listen, when you go to a courtroom, they don't go, well, I feel, well, I feel, I think it should be this way. What does the law say? Right? So you have to go back to a single authority. Well, what happens when you get more than one authority? I'll give you an example. You parents, you love, you know, love having your kids around the grandparents, and, and that's all good and fine. And Grandparents are awesome until they're not. <laughs> so my dad, I'm just going to tell you right now, my dad, man, I can tell you, I got, I was, uh, I, I, I knew I was loved. I'll say that, all right? The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. I knew I was loved. Are you with me right now? Amen. All right? So I knew I was loved. So then I go to do that with Bella when she's two years old and she's going to touch something. I say, no, don't touch. And I go to grab her hand. My, Ay, pero bendito, hijo mío, mira, ella está, ella está ni de niña, mira, eh, pobrecita, no, déjala, déjala quieta. I'm like, dad, are you the same guy that raised me? <laughs> now, it's okay when they're visiting, but if you live in a circumstance like that, you can't raise your kids because you're constantly fighting, right? You're going back and forth. And, and so the idea is you got to have a common authority. So what Jesus is talking about is simply this. Uh, they were trying to replace the authority of Scripture with their own tradition. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, verse number uh, 50. That the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation from the blood of Abel and the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I send you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. Uh, I mean, I think there's a great price to pay to keep people from understanding the Word of God. Well, one of the greatest ways to keep people from understanding it when you introduce another authority. I'll give you the classic example. It's, it's maybe one that you've heard before. But in Genesis chapter 3, they go, well, God says, and the devil goes, well, but ye shall not surely die. Yeah, exactly. One of the most dangerous uh, uh, lies is a half-truth. It's close enough. They didn't die physically on the spot. They died spiritually, Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, so they died spiritually. Well, what did the devil do? He goes, hey, let me be the authority. Uh, another example of this, and it's one of the greatest pictures of the, of the Antichrist in the Old Testament besides Saul, is Absalom. What does Absalom do? Oh, and by the way, you know one of the reasons why he's a great picture of the Antichrist? You know what this, his name means? Abba. We cry Abba. What does that mean? Father. All right, Shalom. It's the greeting. Uh, Salem would be the, the, the Arabic way to say it. All right, so you say, what is that? Father of peace. That guy wasn't the father of peace. What a terrible name, just like the Antichrist. The Antichrist shows up and uh, says, I'm here to bring peace. And what does he do? He tries to seal a kingdom. How did he subvert the kingdom? How did Absalom do that? You know how he did it? Uh, he did what a lot of <laughs> Christians do in churches. Uh, he stood there while people were walking. He goes, you know, I know the pastor is too busy and people don't really love you like they should here. But I, I know this, if you can meet your problems, I would pray with you. And so people are coming in to see the king. Absalom kind of diverts them and goes, hey, you say, what is he doing? He's replacing the right authority. Think of it this way, guys. And by the way, God is not a respecter of persons, but he's a respecter of, of positions. And Saul was a wicked man. We understand that. You know what David never does? He, never, he, never, he had all kinds of opportunity to kill Saul. He doesn't do it. He said, no, you know why? Because that's not my position. I'll let God deal with him. All right. Now, now why is that? Because God is a believer in authority. Do you know who the first real rebel is in the scriptures? I'll never forget, I was reading a, a Christian contemporary artist talking about 
about how Jesus was the greatest rebel that ever lived. I know what you're trying to say, but let's not use the R word there because that just describes everything that's satanic. The devil is the rebel. Jesus Christ submitted to the Father's authority. Oh, you mean everyone else was rebellious around him, so he went against culture? Yes. That didn't make him a rebel. It made them a rebel. <laughs> all right? So uh, the idea is this. God is a, a, a believer in authority and structure. All right? Uh, so, so what they're doing when they take the key of knowledge away is they're removing the authority. And the way they did that was by their vain uh, traditions. Uh, and, and you read about that over in Mark where he says, you make the word of God of none effect through your vain traditions. So the key knowledge goes back to the scriptures. And once you replace that authority, you're done. What's your question, brother? Turn on the mic and he glows, right? Uh, I was just wondering, um, it's more of a historical question about uh, the conflict between uh, Israel and Palestine. Like, where did it start and how did it get to where it is? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, We'll, we'll answer that. Um, who has about 20 years <laughs> to go over that? Uh, so let's, let's do this. Let me, let me answer it this way. Um, I, I'm probably, there's, there's historical stuff. Um, I'm going to answer the short part real quick, okay? Palestine was a Roman term, a Roman governor gave to part of the land that belonged to Israel, okay? Um, it, it was not a historically recognized nation. There was no nation of Palestine. It was a region of Israel. That's, that's thing number one, okay? Um, so, so that said, let's go ahead and start over here. And what you have in the Old Testament is you've got God speaking to a man named Abraham. And Abraham has two sons. And uh, one is a son of promise, and one is a son of bondage. All right, so there's a lot of lessons here. All right, lesson number one, uh, gentlemen, one wife is enough. Always remember that, all right? Because uh, the, the mess you're dealing with over in the Middle East is because a couple got a little antsy and didn't trust God. All right? And, and so they got ahead of the Lord, and when they got ahead of the Lord, they got this, this problem. So, so basically, Sarah goes, uh, Abraham and Sarah married, and God says, Abraham... Uh, come out of your father's house, and I'm going to make a great people out of you. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make your seed great. Here's the problem. He has no kids. So how can I have seed? I'm 75 years old. I, I got, you know, I'm, I'm, my wife's getting older, too. We're not getting younger. How is this going to happen? And, and you know the story. Uh, Hagar uh, is an Egyptian, all right? And when you study the scriptures, when Abraham talks about who he was, he was from the land of Syria up north, and God takes him. And uh, brings him down and brings him out of his father's house. And, and Abraham, God says, I want you to trust me. And you and Sarah are going to have a baby. They didn't believe it. So they get ahead of God. And he has a relationship, physical relationship with Hagar, who is a handmaid who they got in Egypt. She's an Egyptian. All right. And out of that relationship comes a son named Ishmael. All right. And God says he'll make a nation out of him because it's not the young boy's fault that he's born. And God says, hey, uh, Abraham, you're going to pay the price for this. You had a choice here, buddy. I mean, can you imagine being Abraham? And he's like, well, my wife said so. <laughs> and the Lord's like, uh, yeah, that didn't work the other time she'd asked you to do stuff. So, <laughs> amen. Come on, ladies. Come on. Amen. All right. All right. So, so, so God supernaturally intervenes and gives them a son of promise. And that would be Isaac. 
All right. And then Isaac, of course, has a son named Jacob. And Jacob, in Genesis chapter 32, after he wrestles with the angel of the Lord, his name is changed to this. And this guy, Jacob, has 12 sons. Okay? He's got 12 sons, and they make up. Look at James chapter 1 real quick. Look at James chapter 1. They make up the nation of Israel. James chapter 1, and look, if you would, at verse number 1. Brother Sean, when you get to James 1, verse 1, can you read that real nice and loud for us? Yep. Okay, so let me just say this. This is, I want to make this clear. When James writes this, this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? And, and so what this means is this would fall on the side of the New Testament. All right? So, so even at that time, they are calling out the 12 tribes. Guess what? You ain't them. Right. All right? So the Bible addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you're either a Jew, a Gentile, or you're part of the church of God. If you're a born-again child of God, your race is, is immaterial, uh, your, your gender is immaterial. Basically what the world wants to try to do right now, God did it through Jesus Christ. But he did it the right way, right? And, and, and so uh, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor, male, nor, male nor female. But outside of that, there are physical distinctions between Jew and Gentile, all right? Uh, I heard this story told a long time ago. Now, you, know, you know the problem is with the Gentiles? Here's the problem with the Gentiles. That's us. We like money and we like land. And the Jews know how to buy money and they know how to get land. <laughs> All right? And, and so the Gentile despises the Jew for that. Yeah. Uh, I, a story was told years ago where a German man was talking to a Jew and he goes, you don't have any idea. There's no where I live. There's no Jews in my village. And the Jew goes, well, that's why it's still a village. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so their God's chosen people. Look at Genesis chapter 12. Go to Genesis chapter 12. Now, this conflict that's going on, a lot of it is, is uh, it's very confusing because you have a lot of different groups. Uh, there's innocent people involved. There, there are innocent children involved for sure. And, and you hate seeing footage of anyone dying. War is an awful thing. Uh, you know, the old saying is war is God's judgment on sin here and hell is God's judgment on sin hereafter. Uh, and so innocent people die when people make decisions over, over these things. Um, having said that, there's going to be a slant in the, in the... Let me ask you this. Let me throw that out this way. Let's say that someone came into your backyard, kidnapped your kids, raped your wife, and uh, uh, kept some people hostage, and then blew part of your, 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 your city up. And then someone comes back to you and goes, now, when you do respond, make sure it's like with guard. Make sure that you kind of just keep, well, you'd be like, get out of my way, bud. All right, so, so th this is part of what you're going to get in the news media. Now, look, let me say this right now. When I say we stand with Israel, it's not we believe in Benjamin Netanyahu, we believe all their politics are right and all their policies are right. No, none of that. The guy could be wicked. They could all be wicked. But here's a question. Let me ask you Christians, born-again believers tonight, is there anything you can do to lose your salvation? All right, let me ask you a question. Have you ever drugged the name of Jesus Christ through the mud by your attitude and the way you act and your testimony? Yes. Did it change God's promise to you to be saved forever? No. All right. Well, then guess what? When he tells them that they're his chosen people, that doesn't change. Yeah, right. Now, let me give you this. Abraham's covenant, this is a very important word, is unconditional. All right, look at Genesis chapter 12. There's nothing that Abraham has to do. and There's no law to keep. Right. The Mosaic covenant is one of law. 
And it goes like this. It goes, and I'm not going to go through all the covenants tonight, but the Mosaic covenant goes like this. If you, my people Israel, keep my law, I will bless you in the land. You will prosper in that land. You will conquer those around you, and you'll be elevated to a superior position in that part of the world. You will rule. You'll reign. You'll be great. You'll be a reflection of my glory on this earth. But if you don't, and you worship all the gods of the nations around you, I'm going to spit you out of the land, I'm going to spew you out of the land, and you're going to be in bondage, and you're going to be in captivity, and your children are going to be, all this terrible stuff's going to happen to you. So guess what? They don't obey God, and we read about that, and the falling of the, uh, the Assyrians come in and take the northern ten tribes in 736, I believe it is, B.C., and then in 607 B.C., they take the two southern tribes of Benjamin and Judah. All right, so eventually God's word plays out exactly like he said that it would. That's the Mosaic Covenant. The Abrahamic covenant, which you're about to read right now, is before Moses. And guess what? It's unconditional. And guess what that means? When God throws out a word like forever, let me ask you a question. Are you saved forever? You know know why you believe that? Because he said you would be. Eternal life, right? When God throws out a word like forever in in connection with that that, uh, uh, covenant, you know what that means? It means it's forever. We go, well, then how could God do that? Well, you've got to understand, we're, we're right here, okay, guys? We're after the cross. We're 2,000 or two days, if you want to talk about prophetic days in the Bible, two days post the cross to get to 6,000 years going back forth. You say, how do you know it's 4,000 before the cross? Do the genealogies. When you have time, I'm sure you have lots, lots of spare time to scroll and all that. Uh, look at all the genealogies. This guy dies here, and he has a son, and he lives this long. You go through, it's 4,000 years from Adam to Christ, all right? 2,000 years on this side. And then after that, you know what comes? The seventh day, the Sabbath of rest, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. All right, well, guess what God says he's going to do over here? He's going to bring Israel back into their land, Ezekiel chapter 37. All right, and I'm going to show you something in the New Testament in just a moment that will speak to this, but look at uh, Genesis chapter 12, and look if you would. Now, look, here's, here's, here's the, the short answer is this. Regardless of the politics and policies of a nation, if God says, those are my people, as a nation, as a nation, you'd be really smart to go, yep, we're not going to mess with them. Yeah. Question, uh, where's the Spanish Armada? Where's the great army of Spain that conquered half the world? Where is that? Yeah. All right, where's the Roman Empire? Yeah. Where's the Greek Empire? Mm-hmm. Right? Where's the, where's the, where, go on and go. And there's one common thread with all those empires. They all messed with one people. Yeah. And they all paid the price. Uh, look at Genesis chapter number 12. Uh, look at verse, I don't, you may not like it, but you got to acknowledge when the Bible is, says something, it's right. Yeah. All right, look at verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house and the land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great, what? Nation. How can he do that if he has no kids? God would have to supernaturally intervene, which he does eventually. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that... And curse him that in these shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Look at Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Look, if you would, at verse number 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, not Ishmael, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bow, or sorry, not, not Ishmael, uh, Eliezer, his servant, uh, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bow shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars. You may go, That's old English. No, it's not. You go to the inside of a bank, and that person behind the glass you're talking to, they call that person a... That's a bank teller. You know what they're doing? They're counting. 
They are telling something. They are counting something. They're numbering something. So tell the stars. Number the stars. And, and notice what he says here. Uh, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he that believed in the Lord, uh, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees to give thee this what? Where's the condition? There is none. Well, I believe the church replaced Israel. Book, chapter, and verse on that. Oh, I know. You're going to go to Romans chapter 2. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Go to Romans chapter 2. By the way, there's other promises. I'm not going to go through all of them. He does it again in Genesis 18. Uh, he re- reminds him again in Genesis chapter 22. All right. So let me ask you a question. If you replace Israel and the Lord tells you that your treasures are in heaven, but Israel's are on the earth, you got some explaining to do. God didn't promise me a piece of dirt. I've got one. It's not promised to me. As a matter of fact, uh, we're not promised uh, housing as Christians. You know, we're, we're promised food and clothing. How many of you have more than food and clothing tonight? All right, well, then you ought to say, thank God I'm a spoiled brat of God's. Amen? I want to spoil kids. He, he didn't promise us that. He promised the Jew that. And I, I could go, we, we'll go back there. You know what he says about that land? He says it goes from the great river to the sea. And you go, you run that thing over, you know what you find out? I mean, right now, Israel kind of looks like this, uh, the size of Rhode Island, New Jersey. The land that belongs to them, according to what God told Abraham, goes this way and this way and this. It goes all the way out almost to Egypt, to the, to the Great River. You say, what is that? They, what they, what's amazing is this. They got this little piece of dirt over here, and it's the last piece of dirt they got, and there's nations all around them that go, we want to wipe you out. Let me ask you a question. If it, why do you think in the world, why, why do you suppose for a minute that every nation over there, there's a number of nations around them that want to wipe them out? Why is it, if you've got all the other land, why is that one so important? Uh, and by the way, you know what's interesting? Let me go a step further before we uh, go into Romans 2. Not only did God promise that to Abraham, there's a city in the city of Jerusalem, and even in the Quran, not one time is Jerusalem mentioned at, as the Muslim's land. Not one time. I don't believe the Quran for a moment. I'm not saying it's inspired. I don't believe that at all. But if I was those people, I would look at their own book and I'd go, what does it say? And you know what it says about Jerusalem? It belongs to the Jews. In their book. In their book. And oh, by the way, well, who would know that though? Because all you got is CNN and, and, and these people telling you that it's not their land and whatever else. All right. Well, you know what David does? Let me ask you a question. If someone came and squatted on your land and said, this is mine now, how would you deal with that? Let's say you had a deed to your house, and someone goes on your property and, and, and says, this is mine now. I will go back to the piece of paper that says, no, I bought it. So there's a guy named Ornan, and he's also called Arauna in the Old Testament. And Ornan is actually one of the people that belonged to Jerusalem before it was conquered by the Jews. So what happens is this. They go into captivity. We know the story. God brings them out through Moses, gives them the law, tells them, I'm going to bring you into your land finally after 435 years. And then, and then, of course, they complain, they murmur, and it costs them 40 more years. The whole generation dies. Moses gets mad, anger management issues, hits the rock. Uh, water comes out. God says, you can't go in, but I'm going to take my people in. He lets Joshua take them in. Joshua is the Hebrew form of the name Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. Jesus is the captain of our salvation, right? And so Joshua goes into that land, they get their land, they do it by military conquest, and God says, yes, you're my people. On top of that, 
David wants to build a temple for the Lord, and God doesn't let David do it. He allows Solomon to do it. But, but here's what David does. David goes to a man that was considered to be a leader of the former occupants of that land, Jebusites. Uh, that, that place, Jerusalem, was called Jebus before. And so the, the people were called Jebusites. And he goes to Oren and he says, hey, I want to buy this piece of land, your threshing floor. And you know what Oren says? I'll give it to you for free. That would make it a little bit muddier, wouldn't it, down in history as far as the deed to the, to the land? You know what David says? I won't take it for free. If it's going to be for the worship of my God, I want it to cost me something. So David pays him, and it's recorded in a book. Wouldn't that be they got the, the title and the deed to the land? <laughs> all right, so no one else needs to build a temple over there. That's theirs, all right? And, and by the way, if you don't buy all that, go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Boy, you, you asked a, 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 a doozy tonight, didn't you? <laughs> Romans chapter 2. And let me tell you what some people, they go, well, we're spiritual Jews, therefore God's done with Israel. Mm, hold on. Look at Romans 2, and look, if you would, at verse number uh, uh, 29. Is he, or verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Can I get a witness? You are not saved by your good works. All right? Jesus Christ died for you. That's called grace. All right? God's riches at Christ's expense. And you get something you don't deserve by, by faith. All right? So that's the point that he's driving home. Look at verse 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? The answer is no. Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. See, um, this is chapter 3. What a blessing. <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing that so much lately. You guys need to pray for me. All right? So, so that's good, but it's not the right chapter. All right, look back at uh, verse 28 in chapter 2. For he is not a, you are already there, praise the Lord. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. Question, doesn't Paul talk about spiritual circumcision in, in Colossians 2, yeah. about your salvation? So you are spiritually circumcised. You can make the, the argument you are spiritually a Jew. You can make that argument, that's fine. Look at verse 29. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. All right, and so they go, well, see that? God's done with Israel, you're the Jews. Hold on, look at verse chapter 3, verse 1. If that's what he's saying, look at chapter 3, verse 1. Who wrote every book in that book in that Bible? A Jew. God was the author, but who's the human instrument that he wrote? Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. What advantage then hath the Jew? He's making this case, because here's the, here's the deal, guys. He goes in the early church, and he's trying to explain, you're not saved by works anymore, you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But he's coming from the background of being a Jew himself, so he's laying out historically what is the argument here. All right. Then he goes uh, in verse number two. Here's their advantage, because unto them were committed the oracles of God. That's the advantage they have. God gave them the scriptures. Without the Jew, you don't have a Bible. Every book in that Bible is written by a Jew. Every single one. Paul, who writes half the New Testament, was a Jew. He killed Christians before he got saved, but he got gloriously saved. Amen. Now, now look. You are not. Let me say this right now. I'll look at Romans three one more time. Then we'll get to Romans eleven. Romans three. Uh, you are not saved automatically. When I say saved, I don't mean, I mean this. Your sins are not washed away. Your home is not heaven, and God is not your father just because you are of a certain race, even if that is Israel. You have to come through Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. For individual salvation, it's through Jesus Christ. In regards to the nation and how it's all going to play out, they're God's chosen nation. Okay, draw the distinction. Romans chapter 3, look if you would at uh, verse number 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. No difference between who? Between Jew and Gentile. Look at verse number 9. 
What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under what? All right, so he's trying to make the case. Look, when it comes to individual salvation, you still have to come through Jesus Christ. But let me make the case as far as national identity. Go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. So after Paul does this huge, hey guys, salvation is not just for one nation anymore conversation for several chapters, he lands on this subject, then what about the nation? How are we supposed to approach them after the cross? Now keep in mind, the nation of Israel says, we have no king but Caesar, and his blood be upon us and upon our children. And they've definitely paid for that over the generations, no doubt. But as a nation, they're still God's chosen people. Look at Romans 11, look at verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away, what are the next two words? What do you mean by those people? I'll tell you what I mean by those people, God's people, all right? The nation of Israel. God forbid, for I also am a what? So now you know what he's talking about. Of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. You know what that means? He went to Abraham. Who made the move to Abraham? Did Abraham go to God first or did God go to Abraham first? All right. Now, there's some things in the life of Abraham that God saw. I won't go through them all right now. But in Genesis 18, he says, I see this man, how he will command his family to follow me. So there's some character qualities that God saw in Abraham, no doubt. I'm not dismissing that, but I want you to understand. Abraham did not go to God. God went to Abraham. So God foreknew what he was going to do through Abraham. Does this make sense? So he says, God's not cast away his people. Look, if you would, uh, same chapter. Uh, look at, uh, he tells you all the bad stuff they've done. Look at verse 3. Look at what they did there. Uh, look at verse 4. Look what they did there. All right? And so over and over and over, he, he shows them, look, the, the Israel is not innocent. Uh, look at uh, verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. Uh, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh. He's a Jew. He's saying, look, I'd like to provoke them to come back to God. And the way that God does this is by saving Gentiles. Because Jews go, no, we're the right people. We're the chosen ones. How come they're getting in on this thing? And God's going, see, you're missing out because you rejected my son. Now, now, look at the end of the chapter. Look at verse number um, 25. For I would not, brethren, you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be what? Now, that's not saved like you use it in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 13. All right, that save there has to do with a deliverer. Look at, the, look at the verse I just read. He talks about out of Zion shall come the what? You see that? All right, so you know what that deliverer is? That deliverer is Jesus Christ. He's their Messiah. In the tribulation, which is post where we're at right now, all right, next great event is the rapture of the church. All right, here we are. All right, and uh, rapture happens, and you have the great tribulation, which in Jeremiah is called the time of Jacob's trouble. And then you have the second coming of Jesus Christ. All right. Well, you know what this is called? The time of Jacob's trouble. All right. Israel's in trouble. Revelation chapter 12 says they are persecuted by the Antichrist and they flee into the wilderness. And right about the time they're about to get wiped out, you know what happens? The white horse and the, the white knight shows up, all right, out of heaven. And that's Jesus Christ himself. You know what he does? He rescues the woman. You know what they're going to be doing at the end of this thing, at the end of the tribulation right here? You know what they're going to be doing? They're going to be calling on the Lord, going, Lord, are you going to rescue us? Those prophecies and psalms, are those true? Are you really going to take care of us? Those things you said back there, will you revive us as a nation? Is that real? Lord, the promises you made about that land, is that real? Lord, would you come and rescue us? Lord, when wilt thou arise? And the Lord comes back, and when he does that, he delivers them. 
the salvation there is a reference to national salvation from the Antichrist and from his armies. There's the Battle of Armageddon. Now, furthermore, let me show you this. Look at verse number uh, 26. Uh, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer. There's the physical salvation. And shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. There's the spiritual side. Because by the end of the tribulation, do you know what God calls Jerusalem? Sodom and Egypt. They're a mess. And they become like the nations around them, which is what their history was all about. All right? Look at verse 27. For this is my covenant unto them when I... What's the next word? Is that future tense? Do you know what that means? It hasn't happened yet. So if you say God's done with Israel, you're a liar. Or you're calling God a liar. Don't, don't get on the wrong side of history on that. All right? So the idea is this. Now look at verse 28. Here's a real practical understanding of it. When it comes to the gospel, they're not your friends. They want to shut it down. Paul, if anyone knew that more than anybody else, it would be Paul. He lived through it. All right? He was one of them, got saved, and they turned on him. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the, the, the answer is this. It's a long, long thing that goes back between Ishmael and Isaac and the rivalry that was there between those, those families. All right? But ultimately, what God said would prevail in the end was the promised son, Isaac. Why? Because through Isaac comes the promised one, Jesus Christ. All right? Jesus Christ does not come through Ishmael. He comes through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. All right? So the idea is this. It goes back thousands of years, this conflict, all right? And, and when people try to jump into it in the 21st century with no knowledge of this stuff back here, they do themselves and the geopolitical scene a big, great disfavor. Because what you try to do is you try to look at the last 50 years. And let me tell you something about Americans. we got a problem in, in the geopolitical scene. Here's what it is. We think, at least our leaders do, what do I have to do to cover myself for the next four years? Because I'm out. People in other parts of the world don't think that way. All right? So, so if you want a practical answer on this, Pray for our leaders that they're smart enough not to turn Israel. Because I think there's two reasons. If you look at the things that America's done and in the last 20, 30 years, if you look at what America's done as far as morality goes, uh, there's no excuse for it. No excuse. All right? We had the Bible at the beginning. That's, there's very few nations that could say that. And, and so here's what I would say. There are two reasons why God has not yet just said, okay, your time is done. All right? Number one, You've got a nation that puts out the gospel of Jesus Christ in all the world. So Christians, you better pray for that. You better give to that because God looks at that. Number two, Israel. Once America turns on Israel, you're in trouble. You talk about gas price. You think four bucks a gallon is a big deal? You, you look at what happened in, in, in uh, Germany after World War I and World War II. You look at what happened in Russia. Do you realize that I could go on and on historically? I don't bore some of you guys, but... I'll just say this, the nations that turn on them, they pay for it. And you might go, yeah, but look what they did to Jesus Christ. And I would say you're 100% right. Let God deal with them on that. All right? You, you butting in as a Gentile, that's what, that's what Paul's warning is in Romans 11. All right? Then you got internet jockeys go, well, who's really Israel? Uh, okay, so, so, you know, I'm not trying to be funny, but if you're not of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's not you. Okay, so so what happens is there's a temptation, and it's it showed up uh, all all throughout history. The Catholic Church did it, the Reformers did it, where they basically said God's done with Israel. The Church replaces Israel, and the problem with that is all the promises that God made to them. Even Paul talks about them and says he's still going to do these things. We don't take that place. All right, 
Uh, God made a promise. Let me say, I'll close with this thought. If God broke his promise to Israel, an unconditional covenant, what keeps him from waking up tomorrow and going, I don't think I want them to be saved anymore? You know what you're doing? You're dealing with a, a holy God that doesn't break his word. All right, so he made an unconditional covenant. He's going to keep it all the way. So whatever you might hear, whatever you might get into, uh, and, and yes, geopolitically, there's a lot of players involved here, and you got Hezbollah, which is the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the terrorist organization from Iran and Syria. You got Hamas. You got uh, Intifada. You got uh, uh, the uh, uh, Muslim Brotherhood. You got a number of different uh, uh, groups over there that are kind of in on, a lot of these things are what they call proxy groups where other nations are funding them and they're the ones going in and causing all the chaos. Here's all I can tell you, regardless of all that stuff, okay? God promised them something, he's going to keep it. So if you want to be on the right side of history, pray for the peace of Jerusalem in in, in Psalms, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, they shall prosper that love thee. That's what David said. So pray for that. You say, well, what is that? How is that biblical for the New Testament? When you pray for the peace of Jerusalem as a New Testament Christian, you're praying for even so, come Lord Jesus. That's the right way. All right, we got no time. Uh, but if you have a super quick question, I can answer in 30 seconds, throw it out there. Anybody got one? Yeah. First Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, it talks about the rapture. Boy, you got some bass. And <laughs> yeah. Hey, do me a favor, go. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right. All right. Um, but it talks about the rapture and... Yep. Um, the ones that are dead and that sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. Yep. Um, and that we that are alive and remain mm-hmm. shall not prevent them. Mm-hmm. And that the dead in Christ shall rise first. Yes, sir. But then the, bo- the Bible also says that um, to be absent from the body yeah. means to be present with the Lord. So what's the distinction between yeah. like being raised whenever the rapture happens if you're dead? Yeah. And like, yeah. That's a great question. So you know what's really ironic about that question? I don't know if anyone knows this or not. Your mom asked the same exact question about five years ago. I kid you not. I remember it, yeah. She didn't frame it like that, but it was the same question. So here's, here's what you have to understand, all right? I'm, I can do this quickly, I promise, all right? If anyone here wants to get home early, i got to be up at 3 o'clock to get a family of seven out the door in the airport, so I promise you I'd like to go home. Uh, but I think it's a great question because a lot of Christians struggle with this in, as it relates to timing. Uh, understand this. You're a body, a soul, and a spirit, all right? moment you get saved, uh, you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, your soul is washed clean. All the sins are washed away, amen? amen. All right? Your spirit is born again, all right? John chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter uh, 1 talks about the incorruptible seed, and, and by that incorruptible seed, the Word of God, you're born again. Okay, well, this is the problem right here, and you are. this is not safe. So let's say someone dies right now. Let's say you're a child of God. Let's say that Richard dies right now because he talked to the wrong girl and his dad shoots, the dad shoots him. I don't know. All right. And so Miss Lacey goes, yep, that's right. You get him. Amen. All right. So we're just going to go, Richard died. All right. Uh, But don't worry, you're saved. It's good. It's good. All right. Uh, So what happens here, all joking aside, is the body goes into the ground. And the body, not the soul, the body, Matthew chapter 27, many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose. So your body goes into the ground, okay? So body's in the ground, your spirit goes back to God immediately, all right? And your soul is present with the Lord, 
automatically. All right? Now, let's say you're dead for, let's say you were Paul the Apostle and you died 2,000, you know, almost 2,000 years ago. His body's in the ground. His body's dirt now, right? It's dust, right? To dust thou shalt return, right? So, so his body's there. His soul's up there. What God promises in the rapture is not a change to your soul. Your soul's already up there. What God promises in the rapture, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. When you go in the ground, you go in corruption. You, you, you become worm food. What happens at the rapture is a joining, if you will, of soul and spirit with a new body. All right? So when it talks about those that were asleep in Christ and dead in Christ, uh, they're going to they're gonna come up first. I don't know what kind of first that is. I don't know if that's a, you know, blink of an eye thing. or Because the, the moment, the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed, right? It doesn't say what the distinction is between those that were asleep first and those that were alive at the time of Jesus Christ coming. Um, let's take, for example, a page of uh, what happens when Jesus rose from the dead. When he rose, for 40 days and 40 nights, there's a bunch of zombies walking around. The bodies of the saints which slept arose. Now, I'm not, I'm not teaching that's what happens at the rapture, but wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> All right? So, 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 whatever that timing difference is, I don't know, but I know this much. If I'm alive when the rapture happens, boom, I drop this body. What's really interesting, Johnny, is that the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead after his resurrection, you know what he said? A spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. So uh, I'm going to just throw this out there. I think there's a good, a good chance that whatever body you have, it's one that cannot be corrupted because the life of the flesh is in the blood. All right? So, so you're going to get a new body, uh, and, and this, is, this is the miracle of the rapture. It's not that, um, you know, let's say you die right now. You don't get a new body right now. Your soul goes in the presence of God right away. The new body comes in the future at the rapture. So if, if let's, say, let's say the rapture happens right now, right? Paul the apostle, maybe he gets a 30-second head start, maybe a 40-day head start, I don't know. But he gets a head start of some kind. He gets a new body, and his body and soul are reunited, but it's a new and glorified body. And it's likened into the image of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John 3 and we'll close. All right, guys? 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3. Uh, does that make sense? Okay. 1 John chapter 3. Um, look at verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That's present tense. We're called that right now. All right, look at verse 2. Behold, now are we the sons of God. Present tense. And it doth not yet appear what we future tense, but we know that when he shall appear, Jesus Christ, we shall be what? We're going to be like him. All right, so we're going to have a body that can walk through walls like he does. Remember when the disciples were in the upper room and all of a sudden the doors are shut? Every guy dreams of stuff like this, man. I don't know about you ladies, but we're like, man, that'd be cool. You know, like kids, it'd be awesome as a dad if like kids were doing something behind the closed doors. I'm like, hey kids, what's going on? Ah, dead. That's right. I mean, a glorified body. You're wrong. You know, uh, but you, you know, Jesus Christ walked through walls. 
Over there in Ezekiel, when he describes the armies that come with Jesus to, to establish the kingdom on the earth, they literally scale walls. They walk on like Spider-Man. Wow. You may go, you, you, see, see Hollywood, you, you, so many people have been convinced like the Bible is boring. because you're not reading it. Right. When you read it, you're like, whoa, that's there. Yeah. All right, they're going to climb up the walls. And the Bible says a sword shall not pierce through them. In other words, they're going to be shooting, and it's like nothing's killing them. Yeah. You know why? Because i got a glorified body. Uh, and so that's the body we come back with at the Battle of Armageddon. So the, the, the long and short of it is that it's not uh, so much. I think what happens is people place the events of the rapture as if it's happening the moment every Christian dies. It's not. The, the new body doesn't happen until the rapture. Okay. All right. Who's ready to go home? All right. Don't, you can raise your hand. Don't feel bad. It was like, I'm not going to raise my hand. Uh, I'm ready to go home. All right. Uh, let's all stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Did you guys learn anything tonight? Amen. That's the goal. That's the goal. Uh, appreciate all the questions. And uh, if you would, uh, pray for those that are heading down to Florida. Uh, and if the uh, Lord gives me the opportunity to preach, as I've been asked to, please pray for that and for safety. Uh, and for Brother Tyler Campbell, who will be preaching here Sunday. He's an amazing preacher. You don't want to miss out on that. If he makes fun of me behind my back, he'll never preach here again. <laughs> I've known Tyler since he's this small. He will do that. I promise you. So if you want to see some digs at Pastor show up Sunday, you'll get them. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. Appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Caleb, uh, man in the corner, if you would just uh, close out in a word of prayer, brother. Amen. If you, if you haven't said hi to Bella, do it now because she's going to get Lacey home ASAP. So.